The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hi, here's not your host, Mary Woods. This is Mark Green. I'm the medical director um, at Westbridge, standing in for Mary when she's on vacation and getting lucky sometimes with having some guests who are really fantastic. Um, so welcome to One Hour at a Time, and hi, Joey. Hi, Mark. How are you? <laughs> Good, thanks. How are you? I very... really love it, the way they call me Mary Woods. It happens, what? I think, four oh. times during the show. <laughs> so all, Joe... all I can think of is, wow, how your voice has changed. I know. I've got a bit of a <clears throat> cold here. So Joey, <laughs> Joey Carroll made his way onto the comedy scene on a dare. His first open mic got him his first paid gig. Joey has been described as a cross between George Carlin and Dennis Miller, you know, um, and I'm a Brit, and I've heard of George Carlin, but I've never heard of Dennis Miller. Um, his, but I'm sure he was funny. Um, his no-holds-barred style has won him the respect of his fellow comedians and the laughter of his audiences. Edgy is his favorite way to work. Um, his act is something for everyone. Um, Joey's comedy has taken him around the world while performing, performing at L.A.'s prestigious improv. He's discovered by AKA Productions and immediately booked to use his sharp wit and flawless comic timing to bring much-needed laughter to our troops around the world. Most recently, Joey was a standout act at the Boston Comedy Festival. While appearing in the Hazardous show, Joey was selected to perform the Best of the Fest showcase. Congratulations. <laughs> While performing with Bobcat Goldthwaite during Montreal Comedy Festival, he's cast to appear with Bobcat and Comedy Central Pulp, pulp Comics. Um, and Joey's the perfect act for just about any venue and has a website, joeycarroll.com. That's two R's and two L's. Welcome to the show, Joey. <laughs> Thank you so much. I never realized how, uh, how much was in my bio. <laughs> I know, that's a very, you know, and did you write that? Flawless, sharp wit. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. And, you know, as yeah. soon as I heard you read it, which it sounds much better when someone else reads it. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it when, when you read yourself? How does it sound without the R's? Uh, oh, oh, well, that's the way we pronounce them here in Boston. It's, you know, it's wonderful. We lost all our R's in a card game way back when, so we don't miss them. We don't miss them at all. But, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a heck of a ride. I'm having a blast. I got into this almost 20 years ago now, and I've met some of the best friends of my life doing what I do, and I have get to go to some crazy, strange places, and, it's, so it's tell us very, about the recent strange, crazy place. <laughs> well, I've been to Iraq, Afghanistan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Kuwait, Hungary, Bosnia, Kosovo. Uh, How long see, have you been Europe. working with the troops? That, that was all in comedy with the troops, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, back to 1999 was my first tour. I went over to, uh, it was Hungary, Bosnia, Kosovo, Macedonia. And it was uh, like a 30-day tour, and it was phenomenal. 
I mean, it, it's one of those things when, you know, you're out of your comfort zone and you're kind of in a danger zone, but at the same time you see people who live that every single day, and it's very humbling, mm-hmm. very humbling. And the cool thing was, you know, we got to do some of the, um, the coalition bases, which meant we get to meet troops from around the world. So Did they laugh even if they didn't know what you were talking about? Well, you know, fortunately, we, we got some, you know, some Brits and some Irish and, you know, some Aussies, and they, they understood what we were saying. The Germans, not so much. But gosh darn, they like to, you know, they like to have a good time. <laughs> so it was, very, it was very entertaining. It was a very big eye-opener for me. It really, I mean, I've been very grateful for everything I have, but after that trip, even more so. Were you, was, were you, did you have any military experience yourself? Oh, gosh, no. No, the closest thing I had to military experience was I shopped in the Salvation Army. That was about as close as it ever came for me. And um, so what was it, how was your reception when you'd go out on, when you go out stage and on stage and with the troops? It was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Uh, the, the most gracious and giving audiences I've ever played to. They're just so happy that you made the effort to come out and say thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just really, really wonderful and you know, they, they get all the jokes, and then after doing the tours for a while, I started to write a whole bunch of material specifically for those deployment tours. So now I get a little bit of a taste for what they do. So I can do a joke about their food. I can do a joke about waiting in line. All the stuff that, you know, is inside to them. But right. I got to live a little of it, so I, I actually get to talk about it. And they, whenever you talk about stuff that they know, they explode. It's just like crowds back here. You know, we do shows back here for specific causes, and once you, t- once you touch the right nerve, they just go crazy for you. So, Absolutely. And, when uh, was the last time you were out in, Af- in Iraq or Afghanistan? Afghanistan, like two years ago. I was supposed to be going back at some point this year. I don't know when. And we get a little antsy. We try to get over there every year, but, um, you know, when you're dealing with the military, there are about seven different layers of, of paperwork that you have to deal with in different organizations. So... It's uh, logistically and it takes a long time frick. to get out there, I imagine, right? Well, yeah, you, and that's the other thing. We usually the, the days that we fly out are crazy because we'll leave Boston at you know five or six in the morning, and we'll fly to you know uh, like Amsterdam, and then take a plane. We'll have a four-hour, five-hour layover in Amsterdam, and and then we'll fly over to um, to London. Then we'll have another layover there. And then we'll fly over to, you know, either Kuwait or, or Hungary or someplace like that. So by the end of the day, we've been traveling for about 24 to 30 hours. And then it's, you know, then you're going to get to the base and get all your, all your stuff set up and check out the venue for your first show and you have to meet everybody. And How long were gonna, you out there for? Oh, uh, we go, the last one was short, was only like uh, two weeks. But we're used to doing, you know, like a month at a time. Do you spend much time in one place so you can really get to know the local troops there, or do you move around? We move around. We usually do two bases a day. So, wow. you know, you'll, you'll fly in someplace in the morning, and you'll do a show there at noon or 2 o'clock, and then they'll take you on another helicopter, bring you to another base, and you'll do a show there that night. And then you'll spend the night on that base, and then you fly out in the morning and do a couple more. But it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, the travel is brutal, but the reward is amazing because they're just so happy to see you. And it's it's great to see them over there doing what they do because they uh, they they do an amazing job. 
and they do so much more than you'll ever see on the news. They do so much volunteer work. I mean, they have a really difficult job to do, which they do, but then they, they go and do so much extra credit work, and they just don't get the credit for it. In the local community, like build, building oh. things and... Oh, they're always working. The biggest thing that they do is, mm. you know, they're working with kids and families. You'll always see them doing stuff with whether they're getting, you know, books and, and, and crayons and stuff for the local kids for their schools or they're getting shoes and pants sent over for them because the kids are running around without that. They always try to fill the need and give yeah, them what right. they need. You don't really see that kind of um, aspect of that. Oh, no, and, it's, and, and they have this relationship when you see them. You know, the, the kids have these big smiles, and, you know, they'll hug the soldiers and give them high fives, and, and they always take the time out to do that. And it's one of those things that I admire because like, here you're so busy with your life. Sometimes you see somebody changing a tire and you go, I'd love to help, but I don't have time. Mm-hmm. And they sort of have this way of going about doing their business and still making the time to do those little things and, you know, give these kids a little encouragement, a little hope. It's make those sort of stuff. touching moments that they're having with local people there, that's now become much more of a cornerstone of the, of the military effort um, to change the feel that um, local people have towards um, the soldiers. But it sounds like that was always part of the magical stuff that you would see even two years ago before that change was implemented as policy. Oh, well, I mean, even in World War II, they were famous for, you know, giving out candy and, and stuff like that. It's, it's always been you try to, you know, share your good fortune with the world. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's amazing to see. It's probably also adding that level of tenderness and humanity oh. um, to an experience which is, so, which is so stripped of that much of the time. Yeah, it's, the humanity is unbelievable because they have to go from being shot at in a moment to interacting with a kid and then back and forth between the two. And it's just, they, they just do it in a way that you go, I don't know how they do it. I honestly don't know how they make that change from, from you know, being the soldier, the disciplined soldier, to being that caring human being at the same time. And it's almost like two completely different things that they have to do. To be so focused has, on one hand. Do you think comedy has a any special ability to help bridge that confusion? Well, I think the, the thing that we do is for an hour and a half, we take them out of the war zone and we put them home. Mm-hmm. That's what it does. I mean, we get up there and we're telling our jokes and stories and we're talking about different places back home. And, you know, it's just amazing that for that hour and a half, it's as if they weren't in a war zone. They were in a comedy club back home with their buddies. Right. And, and that is just so wonderful to do. And afterwards, they'll talk about that show for months. And then the good fortune I've had is I get to run into some of these guys back here when they come home. And, you know, I, I've stayed in, managed to stay in touch with some of them, and, you know, we'll be friends forever. And whenever I'm in their neck of the woods or they're in my neck of the woods, they'll look me up or I'll look them up, and we'll hang out whether we, you know, have, if I can get them into a show, that's fine. But if not, we'll just meet and have lunch or dinner and just talk about some of the old times and, it's just wonderful. It's just because you've really, been really there wonderful. with them in that experience, and because you've given them such a respite, such a powerful respite for a brief period, um, which probably inspires them to to laugh and and remember for months, right? Oh, absolutely! It's just it is absolutely amazing. And now, like I go with my buddy Jim, and we've been doing the tours together for a lot of a lot of years, and we'll see guys now when we go to Iraq 
that we first met 10 years ago in Bosnia. We saw them again in Kosovo. And, you know, now we, we bump into them in Iraq or Afghanistan, and they go, you're back? And they go, well, you're back too. You know what I mean? It's like, this is what we do, and, you know, this is where we go to work. It's just like, you know, it's another day of work for us, and it's another day of work for them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's just odd. I mean, it's, we're kind of like a traveling circus. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, All right. Uh, it, it, That's the music that I was telling you about. So we'll come back after a short break. And can carry on our conversation. Thanks, Joey. This is wonderful. Thank you. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for the right turn with J.J. O'Malley. It's an insider's look at America's fastest-growing motorsports series, the Grand Am Rolex Sports Car Series, presented by Crown Royal Cast Number 16. You'll hear about what happened last weekend and get a preview of what's coming up next. From the Rolex 24 at Daytona through Watkins Glen International, Mid-Ohio, Laguna Seca, right up to the championship at Homestead Miami Speedway. The Right Turn with J.J. O'Malley, broadcast live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And hello, this is Mark Green with Joey Carroll. Hi. Um, so, Joey, before the break, we're talking about your experience with the troops, but you, you're invited on the show not only because you're a funny guy, but also because you're deeply into your own recovery. And tell us a little bit about your experience, how you got into recovery, and what's, what's its connection with your performance and comedy? Well, it's... It's it's really intertwined pretty deeply now. It's just I was always a funny guy, but I was also always a drunk, and you know I was I was fun to be around, but I'd have to have the stories told to me because I wouldn't remember any of them, and a lot of them were followed up with phone calls to apologize for stuff that I probably shouldn't have done. 
well, definitely should have done and probably should have remembered, but I guess that's why. <laughs> and um, I remember when I first, you know, tried to get sober, I, I, didn't, I didn't even know I had a problem because everyone I hung around with was pretty much the same. And I was probably the worst one in the bunch. But, you know, no one wants to lose their, their, uh, their measuring tool, which was no one had a problem because I was always a little worse than they were. Right. Which was great. It was always good company. It was like, oh, no, no, no. Well, I, I, get a, I don't have a problem. He's got a problem. But I was always the guy with a problem. But no one wanted me to stop. But then my cousin, who was sober for about five years at the time, would go fishing on Saturday mornings. And usually, to me, that entailed no sleep at all. And I'd go over, hung over. And he'd be laughing. He'd go, you know, you don't have to do this to yourself. You don't have to beat yourself up like this. And what are you talking about? He goes, you know, you can go out and hang out with your friends and have fun, but you don't, you don't have to do that whole all-night boozing thing, and, you know, life can get better. And would spend the day fishing and would start talking about, you know, my options, because all of a sudden now I had options. I didn't just have to be the guy that goes out drinking all the time. And, he, you know, we, we talked about, you know, the trouble that I would get in was when I was drinking. And, you know, not every time I was drinking like everyone else, but, you know, if I was in trouble, I was drinking. And, you know, how to put an end to that and nip that in the bud. And he took me to my first meeting, and, you know, I liked what I was hearing. It was hope. It was, you know, stories that I recognized. I, I related to people, and, you know, I, I met some really positive people. And I just went, you know, I think, uh, I think I'm actually going to give this a shot. And when I told some of my friends... They immediately laughed, like, what, are you kidding me? You? And I went, no, no, really, I'm, I'm all done. Yeah. I, you know, i, I got to stop. And they were like, no, no, you can't. There's no way you're going to stop. That's, that's such a big part of you. Like, there wasn't a picture of me anywhere where I wasn't holding a beer. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it was just, you know, a 180-degree turn right around. And I was going to my meetings and, and doing the right thing and, and working on myself and trying to be better and, you find it, it took difficult off. because, I mean, a lot of, were you a comedian then? No. No. No, not at all. I never would have had the confidence or wherewithal to, to ask the questions I needed to get up on a stage and find out how to go about this. When what I was drinking, everything was, a great, everything was a great idea for someday. Someday I'll do this, someday I'll do that. But, you know, the only thing I cared about was right now, and it was going out drinking. So my someday's were very much postponed. And then once I stopped that, I started to look at different options I had and, you know, how I could, you know, actually live my life a little fuller. So the confidence, not just not, you're not talking about the confidence to get on stage, you're talking about the confidence to construct a vision for yourself and actually get on with it and live it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I tell people now, I say, you know, I didn't want to be a survivor. I didn't want to just survive. I wanted to live. And I think there's a big difference between surviving and living. And what I do every day is I get up and I live, and I try to live as, as much as I can every day. And I was about maybe a month into recovery, and I got wiped out on my motorcycle, which was devastating. And I was on crutches for about 13 months, and, oh. you know, going through that, it was really, really tricky. And, you know, I was like, I, I got off, you know, no, no pain meds. I was, you know, ibuprofen. I mean, after the surgery... I had to take, the, you know, what they gave me, but then it was right back to nothing, and ibuprofen and Tylenol, and I was good to go, and I kept going. And everyone's like, well, you know, you're going to set back. you get time on your hands. You're probably going to start drinking. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is, this is my life. 
<laughs> you had a very quick and deep um, turning point. Oh, on that, yeah, on that fishing trip. Yeah, well, it was it was not just that one trip. It was that trip every week for a whole summer until I finally caught on and went, wow, you know, I don't have to do this. And I'll tell you how bad it was. We did those trips all summer long, and I didn't smarten up until May of the following year. And it was just like, enough's enough. I'm all done. I want to. I want to see the sunrise. You know, like I, I want to see this. I want to see the sunrise through eyes that aren't bloodshot from being up all night. Yeah, big yeah. difference. I saw a lot of sunrises, but they were usually shameful. And he was great because he just. Uh, it doesn't sound like he ever lectured you. He just sort of gave you the inspiration quietly over uh, while, side by side while you're fishing that life could be more interesting. And, and, and he also showed me. I mean, he had such a full life. I mean, he had his family, he had his business, and everything was just going along with this beautiful synergy. And I went, "Oh my God, it really can, it really can get better, and you can, you can hope for more." Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't, I didn't dream back then. There, there were no dreams. There were no, you know, what would you like to do if you could do anything? Those were conversations we never had. The conversations we had were. You know, I wonder if we can get to the liquor store before it closes. Yeah. It was just was so, so short-term thinking and just ridiculous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it was all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's, again, it's not like, you know, the sky opened up and the sun started shining and it would stay like that forever. I had a really good test right out of the gate. But I knew one thing, no matter how bad it sucked to be on crutches for a year or a year and change, it would suck worse if I was drinking. It wouldn't make anything better. Oh, absolutely. And you probably wouldn't have been able to manage um, the pain so well. And God knows you would have, if you would have ended up on long-term opiates or something. And oh, absolutely, that. absolutely. I was I was very fortunate. I had good people around me and very protective. And uh, I had my head on straight, and I I did what I had to do which was wonderful, and I worked on my recovery. I worked on my rehab from the accident. And when it came time to put the crutches down, they handed me a cane, and I walked out of the office with it over my shoulder because I had rehabbed my leg at a gym over the course of that year. So I didn't lose any muscle tone or any of that, and I just walked out, and my doctor was amazed. And I went, well, it's focus. I had focus, which was wonderful because I was you know, clear-minded. I could have focus. And then I started to believe I could do anything I wanted to do. And then shortly thereafter, I got into comedy because it was something that I always would would have loved to have done but never thought it was possible for a guy like me. And then I found out <laughs> there were a lot of guys like me in comedy. <laughs> there are. That, that's absolutely true, right? Oh, yeah. absolutely. It, it's, so, it's so funny how many people I meet who are in recovery and you just go, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never seen any other industry with so many of us involved. <laughs> I know, it's really... And, you know, I, I, was it difficult to go and um, perform in a bar and be offered drinks, you know, and have that euphoria and excitement of being, um, of being sort of celebrated and applauded and then someone offers you a drink? How, were those especially challenging moments? Um, honestly, they weren't for me because I would still go with my friends every now and then. If they were going to a bar to watch a game, I'd go and drink soda. Mm-hmm. And they were really, you know, they go, you know, you can go and not drink. And I went, oh, I know. 
and I had to make sure I was solid and I had my mindset right. And I'm like, okay, I can do this and go in and, and drink my soda and leave. But I found something out. <laughs> I don't like to be around drunk people. <laughs> I love my friends dearly, but after a few drinks, it's just I've got nothing in common with them. Right. And it's just amazing, like, how short that gets. It's like, okay, well, I'll go hang, like, I'll go to a cookout somewhere, and I'll stay for an hour or two, and then that's it, I'm off. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's tricky, because I do, like, again, I do love my friends, and, you know, the friends that I have now, you know, with, with you know, a lot of them in recovery, it's wonderful, because there's never an issue. And my friends that aren't in recovery right now are all pretty much family people, and they're really responsible and they weren't given the gift that I was given from my hereditary, you know, heredity, you know, the, the heredity of my family was, yeah. uh, you know, you're not going to get the house, but when dad dies, you're going to get the taste. Oh, okay, beautiful. That'll work. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's nice. I can be around these people, and, and they, they understand how moderation works, and I understand how that doesn't work for me. I'm not one of those people. Mm-hmm. I'm, an, I'm an all or nothing guy, and I look at it, it's like a food allergy. You know, it's something that will kill me. If you were allergic to peanuts, you wouldn't have a peanut butter sandwich. I've got a real bad allergy with alcohol. So, and Joey, when you, were, when you were an adolescent and you were um, kind of a funny guy, and um, was it part and parcel of your, was the drinking part and parcel of that, you know, that you would be um, impulsive and um, want to be... Um, larger than life, and alcohol really sort of enabled you to feel that. I mean, because you're not born, most people don't have the level of confidence to go on stage and make people laugh um, early during their adolescence. And alcohol can sort of fuel that sort of um, excitement and disinhibition, right? Oh, oh, definitely. But, I mean, even when I was in school, I was a class clown kind of guy that would get in trouble constantly. But what I found out was that alcohol helped me out later on in a way to get rid of those inhibitions socially. But I had used comedy as a tool for that in the beginning when I was shy. But if I knew I could get a laugh, it was a great way to introduce yourself to a new class. You know, any, any start of a school year, I'd make the first joke of the year, and immediately the teacher had my number, and I was the fun guy. Right, right, but right. But as, as I progressed... You know, I was really, really introverted and shy, and that's when alcohol became a real big crutch for me because it did let me talk to people without just telling a joke here or there. And what it, what I didn't realize at the time was it may have let me talk to them, but it didn't really help me. <laughs> right, and so when you when you gave up drinking, did that did it take you a little while to regain that confidence? Yeah, it did. It was. Yeah. It's funny. I had like a a real good sense of confidence about myself that I could pretty much do anything, but being introverted was still something to overcome. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was the hard thing, being able to walk up to somebody and say hi and introduce yourself. Like, I had always been okay. If somebody introduced me to someone, I could talk to them, you know, for the rest of the night, but I would never walk up and introduce myself. Right. Just socially, you know, back and backwards and... um and do, it took um, a little while to get that. Do you think um, a lot of comedians in recovery have the same sort of relationship with their introversion and how alcohol really greased the wheels there initially? Think that's a common story. 
I'd, I'd say so with with a lot of them. Yeah. And and it's just uh, you know we've got this uh, this delayed growth. I mean, I drank a lot for about ten or twelve years, and then you know then the music played and I had to get a chair. <laughs> All right, Joey. We'll come back after a short break. Okay, great. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. At last, a radio program dedicated to helping women look fabulous and feel fabulous naturally. You'll pick up tips on natural detox, learn about the benefits of whole foods, practice stress and relaxation techniques, and learn more about health, relationships, remedies, and self-motivation. Tune in to Feel and Look Fabulous with Arena. Broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We promise you, it's women's time well spent. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. So, hi, um, Mark Green with um, Joey Carroll. So, Joey, we're talking about um, your drinking and your comedy. Um, so, look, how do you use your um, recovery um, in your comedy show? Does it, is it something that you bring into it, or you, you think that's just my, you know, something that happened that I went through 20 years ago? It's not something that I'm really going to bring to the... 
people who are drinking in the bar in front of me. How do you? What do you do in that situation? Oh no, no, no! I I, uh, I really embrace the stories of old because it's you know it's a it's a good reminder of of why I don't drink anymore, mm-hmm. and it's also. You know, it's it's a subtle hint to people that when they relate too much to these stories, they might want to look into what I'm doing. Because I'll actually tell a story about, you know, like when I used to, I'll see people drinking and I'll say, you know, you, know, you people are drinking and you look like you're all right with it, you're good with it. But, you know, that's that's not the way I was. I said, you know, I was I was the kind of guy that would go out all night and my friends would have to carry me home. And, you know, good friends, it wasn't a problem until my family moved. I go out, get drunk. They carry me home to my old house. I was too drunk to speak. Never mind tell them I didn't live there. The old couple that did live there let me sleep on the couch. This goes on for a couple of months. One morning, my friends are dropping me off. The old couple's out on their front porch waiting for me. You know, young man, do you know what time it is? We've been worried sick about you. And, <laughs> and it's the kind of thing I also say, you know, I loved drinking. My dream was to turn professional and although that didn't work out, I still wound up with a sponsor. <laughs> and immediately, some of the people know what I'm talking about. They, they already get it. And then I'll go, unfortunately, some of you will get that joke in a couple of years. Yeah, right. Which gets a huge laugh because there are people there who know they're on borrowed time with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what it is, but it just seems like it's this struggle for so many of us, even though we know it's an issue to come to terms with it and, and own up and go, look, you know what? It's a problem. It's no longer cute. It's no longer funny. It's a problem, and it has to be dealt with. Right. You know, well, it, it, it's uh, really tricky because, you know, it's an addiction, it's a disease, and, and, and much like mental health, it's one of those, those illnesses that's very real, but when you're in the throes of it, the people that love you, that don't understand will just go. He's just being. A, he's just being a jerk. Whereas if you had a tumor, everyone would rally around you and try to help you. And the people that don't understand just think you're being a jerk. And it's like, look, you know what? It's a struggle. You know, you're in the middle of it, and you need as much help as you can. And sometimes, you know, tough love is the only thing that works too. Sometimes that's the case. It's not something that happened with you, by the sound of things. Um, yeah, you described, you know, this, who was that, your uncle you were fishing with? Oh, Sounds my like cousin, my cousin Glenn. Cousin. You know, and uh, you know, that was, that's kind of like the ideal of treatment that maybe Westbridge tries to do. We try to have a very genuine relationship with someone so that they, and so that they know that we have something meaningful to offer because we're embodying it, and we, they know that we genuinely care and can see a vision of recovery for them that they might not see themselves, but we're, we're like, we're there to, just waiting to sort of accompany them on their journey. Um, and um, yeah, that sounds like the kind of experience you had. Um, I think you were lucky um, to, oh, to have me. Oh, I was very lucky. Very lucky. You still told me somebody that loved me, and, uh, you know, and that was leading by example. Exactly. Right. So, um, but I think, as you said before, a lot of people, um, well, you, you said for yourself, your friends were, like, are you kidding? Partly oh. because they couldn't see you as someone who would not be drinking, but partly because they were worried to have you go, and then they'd be looking at themselves as the, as the problem um, a bit more, you know, because 
you were always going to be worse than them. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, that, that was the high watermark. Yeah. But it's just, you know, it's amazing because once I did, you know, I, I did the right thing, my friends who, you know, would bet against me, you know, came on board rather quickly and became, you know, some of my biggest supporters. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, and the good thing is I've had great times, I've had bad times, and, you know, even the greatest time going back to that life is not a good idea. I'm not a guy that can drink a champagne toast, you know, no matter what happens. It's not going to happen. That's never going to happen. I can't do that. And in the worst of times, I know nothing is ever going to make me better that way. It's only going to make my situation worse. I mean, I could have everything going great and decide to go out drinking to celebrate, and it's going to be the worst celebration ever. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's going, to, it's going to hurt everything I've done to get to where I am and just set me back, and I, I can't even imagine what that would do to me. Like so you're also you're also presenting yourself as a very positive guy who's um, pleased with the way your life has gone. It's it, I'm sure it's had its ups and downs, as you've said, but you've been able to say that no one has more fun than I have. You know, and and if I see what was your expression, I I live life. I'm not. Oh yeah, um, I don't want to survive. I want to live. Yeah. There's people who are in, entrenched in being a survivor which is great, but you're surviving. I don't want to survive. I want to live. There's a huge difference. So that always provides a lot of motivation for you to not bother taking the champagne toast. Oh, no, 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 no. Why take the champagne toast where I could have a nice cup of Earl Grey, <laughs> maybe a little pastry? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all those things that I get to do now that I have in moderation, and I look at all the stuff, the cool stuff I get to do, the places I get to go. There's no way they would be allowing me to fly around in Blackhawks entertaining the troops if I was the same guy I was 23 years ago. Mm-hmm. There's just no way they would give me that responsibility. And now it's, it's a given. It's hey, a given. So, it's you, like, know, you see a lot of um, your, your um, association with the troops and your working with them and making them laugh, and, which requires a, a lot of, I think that sort of comedy requires a lot of empathy if you're going to get it right. You agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, when you're away from home, and if we do a trip that we're gone for a month, you realize that even if they're not shooting at you at that moment, you're away from everybody you love, all of your stuff, and you're in a strange place. And all you have is the camaraderie of your brothers. Mm-hmm. And they take us in like family when we show up. And it's one of the coolest things I've ever, I've ever been able to have. And they just really treat you like family. Did it change your did it did it change your feeling on the politics of what was going on or the experience? Do you feel that people um, back home? Do you think that I mean you you get it? I think probably a lot more than someone who's never um, been out there than me. You know who um, talks to um, troops or watches it on TV, but um, has had no uh, no nowhere near any sort of personal. Um, immersion. So, um, do you think that you um, get a different take on the kind of experiences that troops have when they come home back to back to this country? Not so much on what it's like when they come home, but the, the one thing that I that I always do, and a, a lot of my friends do, is if you see a soldier or you see somebody wearing a hat or with a veteran plate, you, you walk over, you put your hand out, and you say thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. 
And, like, I, you know, I see a lot of the old World War II guys that I'll run into from time to time, and you start shooting the breeze with them. And, you know, they just, they've just done so much and been through so much that it's just amazing. And if it weren't for men and women like that, I wouldn't get to do what I do. Right. So I am so thankful. And, and again, um, presumably that was always now, You know, and again, if the right? people who are out there now that volunteered didn't volunteer, they would draft people like me. Well, maybe not now because I'm a little old, but, <laughs> you know, it's just that's they are paying the price for what I get to do. I'm racking up the bill and they're paying the price. So I'm so, so thankful. Mm-hmm. Was that always your attitude or do you think it changed over the years? I, I always had a, a deep respect for the military, for anybody that, that entered that world. I mean, I grew up watching Vietnam on TV and just, you know, I, I came from a regular a regular neighborhood where, we had some boys that went over there and, and some didn't come home. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you, you never forget. And some of them came home and they were never the same. So you realize that they've seen things that you'll never see. They've been through things that you'll never have to endure. And just, you know, my heart goes out to them for the stuff that they had to live through. And I'm so thankful that I didn't have to go through any of that. I'm really thankful for that. And that's why this is my way of giving back to them. And doing what I do. I do a lot of shows for them back home, too, if I can, if I'm around. I think comedy makes, has a lasting effect on changing how they, they experience their day-to-day difficulties. I think it stays with you and alters your relationship with some of the grimness around you. Oh, absolutely. When we, did, we did a show in Fallujah for the Marines in Fallujah right after they had gone through that giant battle and taken the city right. back. And the Marine General got up and did a speech before us, an introduction, and said how important it was for these men and women to let go and laugh because they've been through all of the stuff. And they said, you know, you need that mental release to just laugh and get back to being, you know, a person. And it was amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. And they were so wonderful. And coming off of the most intense month of their life, just to sit back and finally be able to let go and have a good time, and it was just absolutely amazing. But, I mean, you see it with people in different professions that are around, you know, situations where your job is hard. Like, when I was in the hospital, the nurses had, you know, all these nurses had really funny, dark senses of humor. I grew up across the street from a fire station. These guys see things that most people don't have to see, and if you don't have to, you have to have a sense of humor about whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm around those guys, the police or the fire, they have to laugh. They just have to laugh because if you don't, it, you just carry that stuff around with you. Absolutely. I mean, for me, you know, sometimes I'll be in a difficult situation and I'll see it once removed, um, almost so that I'm not immersed in it, but I can see it in the, as a funny situation. It helps me through um, many moments. Say, hey, we've got another break. Talk to you in a moment. Okay. Fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. 
Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Eco Man and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Eco Man and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk. Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The World Health Organization estimates that 50 to 80 million people worldwide are facing infertility today. For most of them, this news is devastating. It's time for Gifted Journeys. This innovative program, hosted by Wendy Wilson, president of a highly successful California-based egg donation agency, will take you beyond the traditional family and introduce you to alternatives such as IVF, egg donation, surrogacy, and adoption. You'll hear from experts and those who have walked the path. Tune in to Gifted Journeys, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. We're back with Joey Carroll. Um, Joey, you were telling me before we started that you know something that you strongly believe in is that you're always where you should be. You always, um, you know, you might be in a difficult situation, but it's kind of like your philosophy. And have you got some recent moments or some some times that you want to share with us that typify that? That's sort of oh, absolutely. Awesome. There's there's two things that really stand out. Um, when I got hit on my motorcycle, they put my leg and ankle back together with a bunch of screws. And now, uh, a couple of years down the road, I broke my foot again and had to go to the hospital for x-rays. And when I went in, they x-rayed me and they looked at the screws and they asked me what happened. And I told them the injury and what happened. And they went, wow, we've never seen one like that, but it's really interesting how they put it together. And I said, well, yeah, you know, it was a strange and, and you know, crazy injury, but that's that's what they did. And you know, it took him a little while to figure it out. And he goes, okay. 
and they said your, your foot's broken, and you know there's not a lot we can do. Just take some ibuprofen and you know try to stay off it. Okay, so I went for my follow up about a week later, and they said it was a really weird thing. A couple nights after I had come in, a guy had come in with a very very similar break on his ankle, not as bad as mine, but the bones were broken in the same manner. He said they grabbed my X-ray and put them together that way. So it was just one of those things that. You know, it was wonderful that I had broken my foot because this guy didn't have to wait while I figured it out. Right, exactly. That they just put them together real quick, and they said, you know, we told him, and he was laughing. He went, well, tell him I said thanks. And I went, well, that's apparently why I had to run my foot over and break it was to help this guy out, which was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and another time I get stuck in Afghanistan, and while we were there, I'm a, a pretty decent carpenter. I do a lot of stuff around the house, and, I'm, you know, I help my friends out when I can. One of the guys on the base was trying to build a wall in one of the buildings. And I went, well, if you have some tools, I'll help you out. What do you got? And we spent the afternoon, and I built him a wall, and I framed out a door, and I made him a door. And he had me sign the wall at the end of the day, and it was really thankful. And I talked to the rabbi on the way out, who was a chaplain, and he was going to build a sukkah, which I didn't know anything about. It's part of the Jewish tradition that they built a temporary shelter to remember the days that they were wandering the desert and stayed in temporary shelters. So I told him, you know, if you get all the rest of your stuff in, I can give you a hand and we can build it together. And he just gave me kind of a look, like an odd look, and the guy I just built the wall for said, no, 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 he can do it. He can really do it. He's not talking. Well, we were supposed to fly out the next day, and as it would be, we didn't fly out. The rabbi didn't get his supplies in, so I said, well, we'll see what happens tomorrow. This goes on for a couple of days. Nothing comes in, and, you know, the, the, the day we're supposed to fly out, all the supplies come in, and I went, I'm so sorry. I said, we get a flight. I can't, I can't help you. We get down to the flight line. Our flight had been canceled. I went back, worked side-by-side side with this rabbi, built the sukkah, Right after that, we went down to eat, and we're laughing and, and just having fun. And they tapped us on the shoulder and went, look, your flight's in. You're going to go right now. And he just looked at me and he went, you know, God kept you here to help me. I went, oh, I know. I know. I was right where I was supposed to be. He guys said, that was the reason we get stuck here. I said, you know, I didn't know what it was at first, but that was it. And it was just amazing. It was just that sense of, uh, just like a sense of peace. It was just like, I'm, I'm always going to be where I'm supposed to be. Even if I don't know why, now I have patience, and I just go, it'll, it'll unfold. I'll find out what the reason is. You know, a lot is. of people, though, um, don't necessarily collect those moments, right? Oh. They, um, they let them go by um, as um, either annoyances or just unnoticed. And I think the fact that you collect these um, gives you a sort of positive feel on life, and, when you, and um, you probably get lots of little affirmations of your existence throughout your day. Oh, it, yeah, it is. And I, again, it's just, if I was so annoyed, I wouldn't see the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think, what the beauty of it is. I mean, if your plans fall apart and you look around, you'll see an opportunity to maybe do something or help someone or help yourself, but there, there's an opportunity. I don't think you're ever put in a situation where you can't handle it or you can't make something better out of it. And although some of the situations I've been in, have, uh, as we say on the street, it, it sucked pretty bad. But at the same time, something good came from just about every one of them. And whether it just, you know, brought relationships closer or gave me a little bit more perspective on life and, and how, you know, 
every moment is, is, a, is a gift. You know, there's, there's, tomorrow's not, not a promise, so you live your life today. So, and, you know, Joey, the, um, tell us a little bit about what's them. coming up for you um, in your performances. Uh, we've got a big show in Arlington at the Regent Theater on May 2nd that is a benefit fundraiser show for MORE, which is the Massachusetts Organization for Addiction and Recovery. And it's got some of the funniest comedians you'll ever see or hear. And that, again, is May 2nd at the Regent Theater in Arlington. And, and you can uh, go to their box office at regenttheater.com and uh, book there. And I will be doing shows all around, uh, all around New England. And I think I actually have, do I have that on my, I don't have that on my calendar. I have, I think I'll be playing the Comedy Club at Cheers in April, I've got a weekend, which is, let's see, oh, I'm technolo- the technology is such a challenge for me. Is it April? Maybe it's May. Yep, it's May. So <laughs> people May, can find May. out where, you, where you're at on, on yeah. your website, which is joeycarroll.com. And also Facebook slash Joey Carroll. I'm also on Facebook. That's the big addiction now. To update my status. And on uh, on your website, you have some um, footage and clips of your um, overseas of shenanigans. <laughs> of your shenanigans, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and and are you you might be going out to Iraq um, later this year? You're not sure. Yeah, we're yet. hoping we're hoping to get over before the year is out. It looks it looks good, but again, because you're dealing with the military and the government and seven layers of uh, bureaucracy. We don't know when, we don't know where, but when they call us, we'll go. They've got a large sort of pool of entertainers that circulate through, or, I mean, you know, I'm not imagining this is a a weekly thing, um, that the troops are getting entertained by somebody. No, they they put out as much entertainment as they can, and they try to get them stuff, but at the same time, a a lot of people don't want to go into those hot spots, because it's... Mm -hmm. You know they they can't they can't guarantee your safety. Although they'll do everything in their power to keep you safe, that you're still going you. into a war zone. That didn't worry you going into Fallujah. Uh, yeah, anyway. yeah. When you when you go into those places, people really don't want to. You know, some people they they really like to do it, but it's just a little too, a little too dangerous, and they yeah they hesitate on it. So they do well with comedians who are always the class clown who is just throwing themselves into anything irrespective of the danger. Oh, absolutely. And the good thing is I went back to my old high school which I was thrown out of, and I talked to one of my priests over there who was in charge of whenever I was in trouble. And I said, look, you know, all the stuff I get to do now is a direct result of not listening to you guys. You guys <laughs> all told me to knock it off. You know, don't be a wise guy. And I said, and it's that that has brought me around the world. I said, if you ever get another one like me, Give me a call, and we'll tell him to focus his energy, write everything down, work it out for the stage, and, you know, we'll get the kid going, and he's, he's not going to get in trouble, and we'll focus him. <laughs> and Father Bennett said, oh, we're not going to have another one like you, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, they only come around every few decades. <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, it, it's been a great time. I meet amazing people, and... Uh, and every day is a gift. And today is beautiful. The sun is shining. And I'm going to hang up the phone and get right back out there. All right. Well, thanks so much for being our guest. Mark, thank, thank you so thanks much. Enough.
拜拜 ，Be well。Appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.